Hey, we're in chapter two, and that's right. It was yay interpretation is our topic tonight. No, it's, that's, that's a good word, though. Uh, a Bible interpretation, we're going to continue on that. Apparently a hot topic, because this is our third time, and Lord willing, how many guys would say that we're probably not even going to make it through this time? Yes, you guys know me too well. But that's right, uh, just as a recap as we get ready to continue on. Bible interpretation. Well, we saw the whole theme, if you will, at least what I'm getting out of it, is we need to have this attitude every time we crack open uh, the Word of God. It's CSI Bible style. Those detective shows, you know, where those guys just goof off around the crime scene, they kick things over, pay no attention, and spill everything. No, they're very serious about it, very diligent about it. They pay attention to every nook and cranny, every clue. That's what we got to do. Uh, with the word of God. We saw there that on page 25. What does it mean to you? Hey, that's the wrong question. That's not CSI Bible style. That's not what you do when you get onto a crime scene. You have to investigate the facts first before you come to any kind of uh, assumption. And so really in essence, ultimately, it doesn't matter what does it mean to you. It's what does the Bible say to us? Okay, is what we saw before was the difference between exegesis, okay, and eisegesis. Ex meaning out, as we saw before, ice meaning in or into. And when we study the scripture, the correct way is exegesis. We need to let the Bible speak out to us, no matter whatever you, whether you like it or not. Okay, whether you agree with it or not. God's, how many guys would realize that God is probably big enough to be the one who makes the rules? <laughs> and those of you who didn't raise your hands, yes, he still does. Okay, now, uh, what we do oftentimes, this is where we get into trouble. Mike is in the house, give it for Mike. Oh, yeah, what an entrance. Okay, is uh, we read into the scripture what we want it to say, especially if we don't like what it says when it speaks out to us. No, that's, we say phrases like this, that's your interpretation. Or that was a cultural thing that applied to them, but it doesn't apply to, mm, just deal with it. Again, this is the illusion of the enemy. He acts like, I just had another conversation with somebody. We, he acts like that somehow that the commands from God are bad for us. Name one command that's bad for us. No, they're all for our good, okay? Every single one of them. And it isn't that because God's hung up on the rules. God gave us rules to protect us from this thing that came into the world, sin, right? When God says, do not murder, how many guys appreciate that command from God? Yeah, when he says, do not steal, how many guys like that command from God? And on and on it goes. It's just when we get into the ones where we're maybe flirting with that sin or doing that sin, we go, oh, oh, no. Own up to it. Deal with it. God put that parameter to protect us. Okay? He only gave one command in the beginning. Don't eat from that tree. That's it. The only reason why there's so many now is because of the entrance of this guy for our protection. Okay? And uh, so we saw that. Okay? So what do we do with the evidence we saw? Well, we need to pay attention to what's going on there. Again, CSI Bible style. Why is it important? Just to recap, because we saw, hey, you get this wrong. Okay, this is, well, I'm sorry. That's just your opinion, whether or not, uh, yeah, John's not here. I can't talk about the lions or anything. What's going on? He's, I, feel, I feel like a gaping hole in my heart tonight. <laughs> Tom, how can it continue? Okay, but you might say, well, that's, you know, that's what you think and, and whatever, and you just go your different ways. No, 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 you get the Bible wrong. This is where sin becomes rampant in your life, in your walk, in your witness, in your church. Okay, on and on and on it goes. This is where you get all kinds of false teaching, okay, which is, will destroy you. As, as Paul talks about in the scripture, and destroys the faith of some, he talks about the false teachers in the church. This is where you get not just false teaching, but false teachers, okay, rampant in the church. Why do they continue on today? I have no stinking clue. Well, I kind of do. Uh, apparently, Christians don't know their Bible. Because how could these people, is, if you guys were here on Sunday, you remember those quotes from those guys on TV, and they are the, some of the fastest growing churches in America? How could they continue on with that baloney? My, I got a theory. Somebody doesn't know the Bible. 
Okay? It's like, excuse me, the moment that guy from the pulpit said that the cross of Jesus Christ is a false advertisement for God, you're out of here. Right? Okay, so that's what we need to do. You you get this wrong, the Bible wrong, and you're going to fall for it. It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy the, uh, uh, the church. It's going to destroy your witness, et cetera, et cetera. Now, here's where we left off on the page at top of pages 27. Review the interpretive process. What do you think, Ruth? You think we should do that? Thank you. I, I like that vote of confidence. In the chapter of personal Bible study, Division 1, the basics. You guys remember those days? Back when each of us were 22 years old? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. Anyway, uh, we looked at the four steps of process okay, of prayer for illumination, observation, interpretation, and application. That's right. Hopefully by now you know that process well. And everybody said, well, you liars. But anyway, that's right. But uh, that's why we're here to review, Tom. Uh, But just for review, (laughs) let us look at the process of observation that must, underline that word, must occur before we start to interpret. Why? Because you get it wrong, it affects you greatly. Sin. False teachers, false teaching, apostasy. Okay, it's serious stuff, okay? Remember, observation asks the questions, what do I see? Okay, not what do I want to see? What do I hope the Bible says to me the way I like it? What do I see? Just deal with it. Don't tweak it, don't change it. What do I see? Like it, lump it, leave it. Understand it completely or not. What do I see? Because remember, this is what God is telling us, guys. This is from God. How many guys would say that God doesn't make mistakes? Okay, a little bit better response. Yes, <laughs> he makes no mistakes. He's holy. He's without sin or wrinkle or spot or dark, anything. Okay, he, every, so everything he's... And how many guys would say, man, if you're in a bind, you're in a trouble, you need some wisdom for something, somehow, some way. Um, God probably the ultimate source to lend an ear to and have. I mean, could you imagine if no matter what problem we had in life, no matter what situation we face, we could not just go to somebody who's kind of smart, but the ultimate supreme intelligence in the universe every single time? It's right here. Well, that's the problem, is it? We don't turn right here. We'll go to the world. We'll go to our feelings. We'll go to our friends. Anything and everything, it seems, but God. So when you do finally come here, and this should be our first reaction. This should be our knee-jerk reaction. Whoa, what's God say? And can't, whoa, what, what, what God say? What's, he, what's God say? Right? Yeah, I know my friend. What, what's God say? Okay, even when you get some uh, counsel from folks, you better be careful if it's not here, drop it. Okay, and that's another thing that's happening to the church. We'll get into that, Lord willing, in the one world religion issue in the final countdown topic. And that's what's called syncretism. Okay, is the word. And that's basically a blending of everything. Trying to squeeze secular worldly concepts into the scripture and it's messing everything up. I think God knew what he's doing for all these years. I think we, we don't need man's wisdom. Okay, God makes all that look uh, foolishness, okay? But that's what we saw there is observation. That's your next blank. What do I see? Observation... Is your blank there, involves digging out the facts, okay? Observation involves digging out the facts. Just as digging gold nuggets out of a gold mine is so easy because the moment you crack open into that cave, it's just awesome, Pastor Jim. You're just walking by and they start blinking on your head and you're glad for that. You, you just walk around with a big giant bowl and they just fall into it. It's awesome and you walk out of there, a millionaire. It's so easy. Oh, I love this cave. Is that how it works? No, yeah, you wish. <laughs> You make it in there one time before nine million other people join you in that cave. Okay, but anyway, but uh, you got, anyways, no! I love this, I love this analogy because it's so true, right? It involves hard work, right? I mean, you're chipping away, chipping away big time, and sweat, 
man, okay? Digging out the spiritual gold nuggets out of the scripture involves the same, okay? We have been so conditioned to get everything so easy, so quick, because don't you know the customer is always right? Huh? We've been, we've been conditioned to think that, okay? It's how we, we got, we got uh, fast food. Uh, I find myself getting into such a hurry sometimes that I'm, I, I'm, I'm tapping uh, my finger on the uh, microwave waiting for my instant coffee to get done. It's just, <laughs> you've got to have it now and move on to the next thing and you've got drive-thru and it's this and it's all just here at any events and it's all about you and... Yeah, apparently or something. And so then what happens is what happens is when we come to spiritual exercise, the prophet Sandy has spoken, uh, uh, when it comes to a spiritual exercise, we think it's just going to come easy now i will say this I, I this is what's so amazing about the scripture is it is so so absolutely simple in one aspect if you will that a child can understand it right my kids don't have a problem reading the genesis account they don't need a science degree right my kids don't have a problem understanding the gospel of jesus christ and who he is but yet at the same time it's so absolutely mind-boggling that for centuries upon centuries theologians are still scratching their heads over it okay so on the one hand i'm not saying that you have to be a brainiac uh, to understand the scripture but but there are going to come a point in times before you can get a, a fa- i call it i call it the light bulb moment okay let's see if i can look at that look at that look at that thing isn't that neat look at that thank you thank you that's right now if you guys seen that commercial, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to draw Skippy the Turtle and see if I can get into that art show. Remember that in TV Guide? Yeah, I digress. We've got a lot to cover. But anyway, that's right. Uh, I felt confident after that light bulb. I call it the light bulb moment, okay? As a brand new Christian, obviously you don't know a whole lot, right? Okay? And, and you got Old Testament, New Testament, Schmessment, what Testament, what's that mean? Covenant, you start the terms, and how does it, why did they sacrifice animals back then and they don't do it today? And what, it's in the Bible. What, you, you, and, and all of a sudden it starts to click. Now you understand that the Old Testament led up to the New Testament. Now you understand that the Old Covenant uh, is just that, the Old Covenant, and all that foreshadowed Jesus coming in. You see what I'm saying? You get to that light bulb moment. But before you get there, and I dare I say sometimes afterwards, you're still gonna, there's going to be some passages where you've got to do your homework. That's what he's talking about. But man, it's so rewarding. Okay? How many guys would hate it if you inherited a gold mine and there really was gold in there? But you're going to have to work your tail to get it. You're going to have to work your tail off, right? Can you imagine getting there and go, oh, I've got my bowl out here. I've been here for 32 seconds and there's nothing in my bowl. I quit. I'm going to sell this thing. Right? Can you imagine what, how ridiculous that would be? And how crazy it is. And I've heard this before. Oh, I just, I just, I read, yeah, I read the Bible, but I just, I, I don't understand. Just keep reading. The last thing you want to do is quit. Just keep chipping away. It'll keep coming. Okay, the last thing Amy wants you to do is get in here. He wants you to think it's so hard. You'll never get it. It'll never click. You'll never get that exciting light bulb. Uh, you're stuck at uh, Fluffy the Wonder Turtle. Uh, and it's not there yet. And so, keep reading. Keep reading. Okay. And if you come across something you don't understand, just do your homework. Ask questions, okay? And, and we'll talk about some of the tools that you can have at your fingertips. I am amazed, uh, and I really think this is what the enemy's done to us. In the history of the church, have you ever thought about this? Never before in the history of the church have you and I as Christians had the privilege to get a most well-equipped ever in the knowledge of the Scripture than ever before in the history of the church. The, be- listen, even the last few decades, we've never had at our fingertips with a disposal over the counter 
such tools to be able to crack open, to get our hands on a Greek lexicon, to get our hands on things that have been, uh, men have sweat and devoted their whole lives to, like a, a Strong's Concordance or expository or commentary sets and things of that nature. Christ, many Christians never even had a copy of the Bible, okay, or pieces of it, right? And it's still in some foreign lands today. But here in America, we've got everything. We've got commentaries. We've got this. We've got lexicons. We've got, uh, you don't need to learn Hebrew. We'll do it for you. We, you know, just all this stuff. And it's all there, all at our fingertips. There's, we should be the most biblically literate in the history of the church. But as you've been seeing the last couple of weeks with the church growth movement, across the American church, it looks like we're the most biblically illiterate. Why? Because I think that's what the enemy's done. Okay? It's, you take it for granted. We, we've got so many Bibles around. Different colors, different sizes. You can even get a camo cover. You can even get, uh, you know, a Barney. You don't get the part That's purple. Uh, but uh, you can get the, all different kinds. Different sizes, different sizes. You know, get the big family Bible because you don't read it. Just throw it at people if you ever get your house robbed. It's a great weapon. It, it beats mace. And, but you, you get all, you know, all these, t- uh, how do you do this? You can get into the customs and mannerisms. You can, you can uh, learn Greek while you're in your car. You can do all this stuff. And then it's just like we, we've got it so easy that we don't take advantage of it. You see what I'm saying? It's almost like the enemy's flipped it around. We should be the most biblically literate, but we take it for granted because it's so uh, easy. Hold on just a second. Let's continue on. Uh, But anyway, so that's what he's talking about here. We need to get in there and work at it. Now, let me just share a couple. I've shared a couple of these with you before, but it is very worthwhile taking your time digging out uh, these nuggets in the scripture, okay? You guys remember the account where I shared with you? I think it's uh, John uh, 18, and then in John 21, okay? And John 18 is the account, I believe, where Peter denies Jesus three times, okay? And he's doing so, he's over there in the courtyard area, whatever, and he's warming his hands by a fire, right? Remember that account? All right. Then John 21, post the resurrection, okay, Jesus appears on the scene. He's cooking some fish over a fire, okay? And he asks Peter three times, do you love me? right? Usually we'll stop right there, okay? And there's a lot going on there, right? Do you think it's by chance he denied him three times? And then a couple chapters later, as it's recorded for us, post-resurrection, he asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Okay, and then there's a whole other thing going on there with the word there, love, okay? Because one of the words changes, but anyway, I don't have time to get into that. But what I want to focus on is just now these two words, fire. This is a nugget. This is worth chipping away at that gold mine. Oh, what's going to fall out my bowl? Well, here's what's going to fall out. We talked about this before. Now, there's a couple different words in the Greek for fire. Some of us just used it like normal fuel, like sticks and whatever, and whatever. But the, the, the word for fire in both these cases is charcoal. It was a charcoal fire, all right? Now, why is that important? Because charcoal fire has a pungent odor, a particular odor, okay, that accompanies a charcoal fire unlike a normal fire, all right? Now, put it, I mean, you talk about setting the scene. Because Jesus, uh, Peter, he's going to Jesus to the shore. So he's not there yet, but he's smelling the, f- the fire. You see where I'm going with this? Nothing's by chance in the scripture. And so here's Peter denying Jesus around a, <laughs> smelling a fire, a particular fire when he denies him charcoal. And then he's getting ready to ask Peter, do you love me three times? He lights the exact same kind of smelly fire. Don't you think that that started getting Peter's brain going before he even got there do you see what's going on? Whoa, my, woo, where, where's my bowl? Woo, that's cool. That'll get you going. That'll get you fired up for a week. That's one word. If you'll take the time to dig in this gold mine that we call the Bible, 
right? Now, I shared with you another classic one. Uh, one of my favorites, I remember coming across this in Greek class, and that was in Hebrews 13, and you guys should recall this. But uh, it's the passage there where uh, a wonderful promise from God, we quote it all the time. I will, I will, I will never leave you, right? And never forsake you. How many guys have ever once quoted that? Right? Okay. Now, here's what's really cool in the Greek. Okay. Now, without explaining all the Greek rules to you, uh, you, it's followed by a double negative, okay, followed by a triple negative, okay, in the Greek rule. Like, well, that's cool. Let's close in prayer. Now, let me explain to you. This is wild. This is amazing. What's going on here? And we talked about this before. Okay. But what that does to these verbs is just blow it out of the water. So literally what that passage is saying, and it's cool. If all God said was, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Don't freak out. Don't be afraid. What can man do to me? I will never leave you. You know, as you're saying to yourself, because God's in control, I'll never forsake you, okay? And this also like, I'll never leave you in a lurch. I'll never leave you hanging high and dry. There's a little bit more than just leave and forsake going on there. But literally, this is what it says with these verb things going on here. I will never, never leave you. I will not, I will not, I will not forsake you. That's literally what it says there. Now, how many guys would say that God's being emphatic about that point? He's wanting to reassure us. What in the world are you worried about? I didn't just say it once. I said it five times, right? And the biblical rule of interpretation is any time that something's repeated in the scripture, it's there for emphasis. We saw this before when it comes to God's character. He is not just holy, he is what? Holy, holy, holy. It's the only attribute of God mentioned in the scripture that's repeated three times. That's not by chance. You don't understand the holiness of God. You don't understand anything else. You don't understand why there's a judgment. You don't understand uh, why there's a hell. You don't understand the penalty for sin. And you don't understand, uh, dare I say, the totality of the wonderful message of God being love and sending his own son. If you understand the depths of God's holiness and how holy he is and without sin, the very fact that he would send his son to die for us and let us go completely free, 100%, blows you away. But you don't get the impact until you understand he's holy, he's holy, he's holy. If he's just you, your cosmic buddy and he loves you because who doesn't? <laughs> you don't get the same impact when you read John three sixteen. You see what I'm saying? Okay, let me give you one more. And I shared this just not too long ago. <clears throat> shared this with my kids. They loved it. Okay, speaking of the Genesis account, you know, the passage there, I think I shared this with you guys. Uh, when it says there, and it's talking about the creation account, let there be, right? And then God created the stars. He created the, the universe. He created the earth and et cetera, the plants, and the animals. Just let there be was that constant phrase. Well, what, what, was, what grabbed my attention? Well, it's the exact same phrase over and over again, right? And to me, that's, the creation account's always been wonderfully encouraging to me as a Christian, okay, because it, re, it reminds me this. <clears throat> God created the universe. The last thing I remember, it's kind of big. And then Colossians says he upholds it and sustains it, which means he's not only created it, he keeps it from flying apart. I'm thinking he could probably take care of this problem. Right? Isn't that amazing? That's just, that's, that's who God is okay and the, as the creator god okay but so then there was a, a repeat in the words going there as i was studying it i don't know how many times i've read that passage let there be okay the verb action right now as we saw before that is the uh, hebrew word that is pronounced haya remember that and that's what went through my brain 
was, you know what? I don't care what you go through. I don't care how big your problem is. I don't care what, how, what the situation is or how dark it seems to be. All God has to do is go, hi-ya, and it's done. That's what it says, right? It's so, and my kids got that. You talk, and that's just from one Hebrew word because you took out the gold mine and picked it out. Woo, and you heard my bowl. Whoa, kids, look what I got in my bowl today. If we would just get in there, and do it. Take your favorite verse in the Bible, the ones that ministered your heart. Get, go digging and watch them really come alive. It's not that the English translation has it wrong. It's just by nature of the Greek language as opposed to our English language, we, always, we don't usually get the full flavor is what I say. It's not a wrong translation. We just don't get the full flavor, okay? So that's what you got to do, but it takes work. Is what he's talking about. What do I see? Get behind. Take the time. Get in there. Find out what God is trying to tell us. Now, the steps in observation are read repeatedly. Okay? You read repeatedly. Read repeatedly. That's right. Why? Because you have a better occurrence of remembering, okay, what's going on. As well as, sometimes if you're doing like a book study, it's good to, before you really get into it, and he'll talk about outlining here in a second, uh, it, it's good to read it repeatedly over and over again. And if you can get your copy, uh, get a copy of the J.B. Phillips translation prior to when they put in the chapter headings, he used to have in his earlier versions of the New Testament, okay, he was a Greek scholar, uh, and he translated his uh, tr- uh, during the World War II. Um, uh, but anyway, so, but he, he did it without all the chapter divisions and the, the verse, you know, all that stuff. Okay, and it's really cool. It's like, well, there's a weird thing that our brains do. I mean, it's really nifty and neat having uh, the, the chapter divisions in here. And, you know, chapter 2, verse 14, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but your brain does something. It, it chunks up the scripture. Well, when these were writly, uh, originally written, the New Testament letters, they were a letter, right? And, and what happens if you take those out, if you can get a copy where you take all that out, it, your brain reads it like it's supposed to, a letter. And you don't chunk it up. You don't stop at, at, at uh, Romans chapter 11 go, okay, I'm done. Because the very next verse, chapter 12, says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren. It's like, whoa, don't stop. Well, we'll see this later, maybe, if we get that far in 17 weeks. But uh, uh, when you see certain words, you need to ask yourself, like, therefore, what's it there for? But your brain chunks it up. So anyway, you read it like a letter, and that begins to uh, really get ingrained into you. You start to be able to grab the context completely. You really start to get a flavor of what's going on in this letter. You're not chunking it up in these little pieces and parts and parts and pieces. And we all know that's creepy. You guys ever do that? You ever tear open a hot dog? And you see that little white looking thing there? Well, it could be. Yeah, so. But I already got rebuked once by the prophet Sandy, so I, gotta, <laughs> I guess we'll move on. <laughs> that's right. Anyway, so, but no, that's what you, you got to read it repeatedly, okay, if you can do that, because it helps you to grab the context. You need to have the context, but it uh, keeps you from getting things out of context. Again, we'll get that in a second. Now, number two, you need to ask, ask preliminary questions. Now, this is important. I'm going to give you an example here in just a second. Hey, well, this, this sounds like schoolwork. Hey, listen, if, if schoolwork doesn't work for you, homework doesn't work for you, if that starts to turn you off, go back to the gold nugget mind th- analogy, okay? Do something, as long as it gets you in there to do your homework, schoolwork, whatever it is, okay? Because what you're doing when you take the time to do these kind of steps, 
Okay, when you approach the scripture, not be so willy-nilly about it, but you take your time, okay, it's very rewarding. You'll start getting those nuggets, okay? So, so ask, you might say, well, this is a bunch of rules. I'll never remember all this. Just, just pay attention. Ask preliminary questions, such as, before you even crack open into Philippians, who wrote this? Who's, who's the author? Because that, that'll determine some things. As you approach to read this letter, who wrote it? All right. Paul? John? Was it Peter? You know, because sometimes they take a little different emphasis. You know, John had, a, it apparent, would appear a different relationship, if you will, uh, in some aspects than the other apostles did. And so, I mean, so it, that, that's important. Now, here's a big one. What are his circumstances, the author, at the time of his writing? You will so, what, what's that going to change? Let me give you some examples. Open to Philippians. And uh, we're going to read a couple passages here. Just, I'm just going to dot around a couple. And I want to give you a flavor of just asking this one question, how it radically changes what you just read. Just this one question. If you would take the time to uh, hit it with the, the hammer there. Uh, Philippians uh, chapter 1 is going to be the first example. Philippians chapter 1. And here's what Paul says, verse 12. If you're there, say moo. <laughs> Make me cry, Music to my ears. All right, here we go. I stole enough time. Uh, verse 12, here's what Paul says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, that's nice. What a neat, what a neat phrase by Paul. Isn't that cool? Well, folks, let's ask that question. Uh, before we even get into this, we should be, have asked this question. What is the Paul's circumstances at the time of this writing of this letter? Uh, he was in jail. Okay, now let's do a little bit more chipping away. What were the Roman jails like? They had cable TV. They had these workout centers. They got three square meals a day. Uh, they got to make phone calls. They got to work on uh, their degrees and further on stuff, whatever. And I'm making fun of people with that. I'm just trying to give you the dichotomy of what we have today as of what used to be. What was it like? What was the Roman jails like? If you know anything of the culture, okay, typically uh, the Roman jails were, you got chucked down into a hole, okay, Maybe if it, the, uh, uh, you were fortunate, you might have some straw or something, a little pile to sort of get away from the dampness and somewhat sleep on. And then you had uh, free pets called rats, right? That was where Paul is writing this. Now let's go back to that. Now we understand the context. What's his circumstances? And he writes it. Oh, by the way, you know what one of the constant themes in this book is? Joy. Uh, where's Paul at? He's in Hawaii. No wonder he's full of joy. No, he's in jail. Horrid, wretched circumstances. And joy is the constant theme of this book? Whoa, that changes everything, doesn't it? One question. That's all he asked was one question. In the gold mine. And he says this, Now, what what, what I want you to know, brothers, is that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, listen, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Number one, Paul says, there's a purpose why I'm here. Notice Paul is saying, that ain't right, this ain't fair. Why am I going through this? This ain't right. Those people, I'm gonna sue their pants off. I was doing nothing wrong. They chucked me down this hole. What do he say? Hey, God's got a higher purpose in this. In what? In sending me to Hawaii. No, in jail. And he didn't do anything wrong. 
serving Jesus, doing that which is right. He says, listen, I'm not bitter about it. He says, I see God's doing something pretty cool. Okay? And that's what he says. He says, oh, it's come clear that throughout the whole palace guard. You see this in other passages? Guess who's, uh, guess who's Paul witnessing to? His captors. And there's some scriptural evidence that some got saved. What? So Paul not only wasn't getting bitter in these circumstances, but he was making the best of the situation, still continuing to do what God called him to do. And souls were getting saved. That makes purpose out of your pain, doesn't it? And then he says this, and he says, hey, because of this, because, because of my circumstances, people are getting more bold and excited and fearless about sharing the gospel. More Christians are doing what I wish they would have been doing before I even got here, but that's good. Because he's in a pit. Let me give you another example. This one should blow you away. How many times have you read this verse, but you never asked that preliminary question? What's the circumstances? Right? Uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this. Do everything without complaining or arguing. What? Where's Paul at? Let's ask that question tonight. He's in a... Man, if anybody... God... I can't believe this. I'm, I'm your servant. I'm down here in this hole. I didn't do anything wrong. These people don't even feed me. I'm starving to death. I'm wasting away. I don't have a bed. It's damp down here. Rats are chewing at my toes. Go, ah, you would think he'd... And what's he say? Do most things without complaining. Try your best to bite your lip and don't complain. And because you don't want to lose your witness. What's he say? Do you, where's he at? Do you see how asking the one question, what are the circumstances of this guy writing this thing, radically changes the whole thing? Not homework. Apparently that drags us down. It's your chipping away in the gold mine, right? It's just one swing of the hammer and, whoo, man, my bowl's getting full. Radically changes everything. Do everything, man, without complaining or arguing. Why? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Paul was down in a dank, dark, deep dungeon, but he realized that even though he was in the midst of that darkness, that his light, his witness was on display. Do you think maybe that had some effect on the past guards that he witnessed to? What kind of a witness would it have been when Paul's chucked down there and they hear him every single day shaking a fist at God and saying, yelling at them, I'm going to get you. You guys haven't heard the last of this. I'm going to sue your pants off. You're going to get it. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus and how much he loves you. Wow. Doesn't that change everything? So you mean the way that we speak about our circumstances can affect our witness? Like a moth to a flame, or are we driving away? And man, he's going to Medlin. Let's move on to another one. Uh, let's just one more. Uh, so you get the flavor of chapter four. How many times have we read this? Chapter four, verse four. What does Paul say? Rejoice. Okay. Now, what's the biblical rule? If it's there more than once, it's the scripture going, hey, pay attention. This is really important. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always uh, oh by the way in case you didn't get it I'll, I'll say it again rejoice let your bitterness be evident to all because what's happening to you is absolutely unjust and this these people are going to get their due i tell you what i tell where's paul in jail what kind of a jail no tv free rats in a hole and he says 
rejoice in the Lord. Because sometimes your circumstances aren't pleasant. But you rejoice in the Lord and you do it always. In case you don't get do it again. Wow. Now, that speaks volumes. When you just took the hammer and the gold mine, you know, one question. Radically changed it. Observation is what do I see? Read that thing repeatedly. Make sure you're grabbing the flavor of it. But once you get in there, start asking these questions. I'm telling you, it will radically change what comes out. Okay? It's not only correct, it just opens our eyes if we would just take the time. Because we talked about this before, guys. I've noticed this is a horrible trend. And I did it when I first got saved. Okay? You just get into that, that mode where it's, it's, it's Christianity is somehow some competitive thing. You think it's competitive tomorrow night when you go up against man truckers? <laughs> man truckers unite. Okay, we've got our own hand signal going on. Okay, it's very competitive. Okay, but for some reason, we do that when it comes uh, to the scripture or something. We try to outdo each other. You know, we talked about this before. Hey, Jim, I'm glad you're here tonight. You and I, I know we've been brothers in the Lord, and I, I you know, uh, you know, I don't want to spill the beans, but <laughs> Debbie told me that uh, you, you read uh, four chapters yesterday in your devotion. That's good. That's good. I read seven. You're going, yeah, you're going, yeah, me too, yeah. I'm so spiritual. And I always ask this question. That's nice. That's good. I, hey, I praise God you're reading scripture. What'd you learn? I, I beat Jim. Don't you get it? Got the lame Come on. You ain't got no man trucker thing going on. You ain't got nothing. But, but what verse popped out? What spoke to you? What, what was it? Where, did you get a haya moment in here? Did you, did you take the time to say, wow, God said a double fall and a triple. I'm never going to leave you. No, 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 never. Whoa, wow, what was it? What was, did you grab the context of what Paul was doing in Philippians? Do you understand how powerful it is for Paul to say? Because that's what we do to God. God, there's no way for me to rejoice in this. It's impossible. Paul did. Did you have one of those moments in your seven chapters? Or is this just some speed reading course? And you got nothing out of it. Right? Take your time. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It took me years to get this. If I only get one chapter, oftentimes it's not even that. I might get one paragraph. If a verse pops out, stop. Don't go any farther. Chew on it. Tear it apart. Maybe that's the one that God wants to touch your heart with that day or that week. Wouldn't it be better to be encouraged by one verse that you've been chewing on all week diligently, prayerfully, than to read 55 chapters and you got nothing? That's what he's saying. Take your time. Observe. This is not some speed reading course. Take your time to do your homework because isn't that the whole point? What are we doing this for? And the more we get into this and we properly interpret the scripture, the more we're impacted. The more we're impacted, the stronger we get. And do you think it's any wonder that the enemy doesn't want you in here? Or if he, uh, you do get in here, he'll mess it up for you by playing those funny little games? I don't think so. He doesn't want you to get the impact. Let's continue on. Uh, who are the recipients? Okay, that's kind of the flip side. What's the circuit? Who's the author? And who are uh, and what's the circumstances? That'll open up some uh, doors there for you of understanding. But also, who are the recipients? Now, this is huge. Okay, how many guys are going to pray for the gift of interpretation to see what in the world is on this board? Anybody? I know you're out there. Okay. <laughs> Let me see if I can find a space for this. 
Okay, this is important, this one aspect we're talking about when it comes to the Old Testament versus the New Testament. Okay, can't forget that period. Okay, uh, is what's going on here. Okay, because this is all the scripture, but you have to ask this question, who are the recipients? Okay, or you're going to get things messed up. Okay, who, who are they? Are they Jews that God's writing to under the old covenant? Is it a Gentile? Is it a Christian who can be a Jew or a Gentile who has faith in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross to make him a part of the church in the New Testament? Who is he talking about? It's all the Bible, but you've got two totally different covenants here. One applies to us today, the new, and guess which one doesn't apply to us now? The old. So that means we shouldn't read it. No, the New Testament says these things in the Old Testament were written down uh, for our warnings and admonition and pay attention. And it also builds upon, it explains why we even have the New Testament and the history of mankind, how it all started, etc. blah, blah, blah. All the promises that God recorded, the 300 some promises that Jesus fulfilled his second coming. Hey, much of the Old Testament also talks about his second coming, which is not here yet. There's tons of great stuff in the scripture. But when you approach the scripture, especially the Old Testament, you have to grab the context. Who's he talking to? Because people do this all the time. You talk about false teaching. You talk about different churches. We got the church of the robes and the church of the no robes. We got the church that worship on this day. We got the churches that worship on that day. We got the churches that uh, celebrate the festivals. We got the churches that don't celebrate the festivals. What, what's, can I tell you what's going on there? I guarantee you nine times out of ten when it comes to those particular aspects, you're reading the old covenant and trying to apply it to a New Testament Christian today. All right? Let me give you some obvious examples of why that's important. Now, you're reading through that exciting part. You've decided, man, Pastor Billy, you got me convicted. I'm going to start reading the Bible. Uh, I'm going to start at the very beginning to read there. And man, you go out like gangbusters and you read through Genesis. That's exciting stuff. Lots of action there. Uh, you make it to Exodus. Woo-wee, man, they're getting out. That's, that's some pretty cool stuff. Uh, then all of a sudden you hit that exciting book. What did it Why you just shut her? Oh. Hey, I had an instructor. Let me encourage you. He said, listen, you ever been encouraged by Paul? Philippians, just that one book with four chapters. Bunch of chapters in Leviticus. Don't you think every word's there to bless you? Yes, even Leviticus. Then you make the numbers, okay? And then you go like, wait a second, I'm having deja vu. Because you hit Deuteronomy, which means the second telling of the law. That's why. Okay, and so they're telling it again. And so, <laughs> here's what, and usually that's when you quit. Ah, you, are you kidding me? That's when the action really picks up again. That's when you get into Joshua and Judges and all that kind of fun stuff. Anyway, the, so you get there, but you get in there to Leviticus and you get, you know, tail end of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and you start talking about this thing called the priesthood, right? You're there in the tabernacle and all that kind of fun stuff that's going on there, okay? And, uh, but, and we all know that uh, what we're gonna start doing, because it says it right here in the Bible, right here in the Bible, that they would bring, uh, every time they sin, they would bring sacrifices uh, to the tabernacle, later to become the temple, uh, for their sins. All right? So I think, hey, don't you want to be a biblical Christian? Anybody? Raise your hand. All two of you, praise God. Okay, then uh, that's what we need to, it says right here in the Bible, that we need to, every time you sin, okay, and we're going to install webcams in your home because we have the technology, and alarm's going to go off when you sin, and then we're going to have a report. And so now the majority of our service, I'm sorry, I don't have time for this anymore, is what we're going to do is every time you sin, and we're going to categorize it, okay? If you do this sin, you've got to bring it. It's a personal item. You've got to bring in your couch, bring it up here, and burn it. Now, you actually do that, and it'd probably increase your attendance for a while, right? 
So I'm not advocating that. Okay, but, uh, but, but that's what they used to do, okay, to break it down, all right? You come in here and, uh, oh, man, but that was, a, that was a really big sin. Okay, I'm bringing your car. I'm going to blow it up out in the parking lot. Okay, for some of us, apparently that would be a good thing. You make out like a bandit on the insurance. But uh, <laughs> it's supposed to hurt. But anyway, but you, they had to bring in their personal items, right? Anybody glad that we don't do that today? How many guys would say you, you would be, as well as myself, carless and furnitureless? <laughs> all right? Anybody go, all right? But, but, but it says it there in the Bible. It says it right there. Well, you need to ask the question, who is the audience? Who's the recipients? Oh, that's the Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us today. Uh, uh, and and so, so why'd they give it? How many guys are glad? Anybody love bacon besides me? How many guys would eat bacon-wrapped bacon if you could do it? With bacon bits on it. Wouldn't that be good? Woo! Bacon! Oh, this Sunday, we're putting down a... This is... Hey, we're getting ready to vote on our bylaws. It says it right here in the Bible. Stay away from pork. I'm not making it up. What are you guys laughing about? Don't you want to be a biblical Christian? Why do people do that even today? Because they didn't take the time to ask one preliminary question. Who is the recipient? That doesn't apply to us. Why did God give the dietary laws in the first place to the Jewish people? Number one, they didn't have refrigerators. So there was a health issue to it. Number two, there was a message that God continually was trying to get to use through the Jewish people to the Gentile world. And that message was this. God is holy and we are not Okay, why did he give us the Ten Commandments? To show us that we're disqualified for heaven. He is holy without sin. You can't even keep these ten things. Why did he give the dietary laws? He was drawing a distinction between that which is clean and that which is unclean, right? Why did he give the tabernacle and the sacrifices? It all pointed our way to Jesus Christ. You can't approach God any way you want to. If you are going to enter into the Holy of Holies, the actual presence of God, you first had to go through the gate. Who's the gate? Jesus Christ. Then you had the altar of, of sacrifice. Who's our sacrifice? Jesus Christ. Then you had the labor of cleansing. Who cleanses us from our sins? Right? Then you get into the holy place uh, before the holy of holies. And then you have the table of showbread. Who's the bread of life? Right? Then you have the lamps, the, the stand that's in there. Who's the light of the world? Jesus Christ. And then the, only the high priest could enter in there to make atonement for our sins. And that only once a year. Who's our high priest? Jesus Christ, who brings us into the presence of God. It was all foreshadowing Jesus Christ. But if you don't understand, if you don't ask this one uh, question, who's the recipients? If you don't just go in your gold mine, you're going to get all messed up. Because there's a whole group of people out there that says we have to keep the festivals. We have to keep the dietary laws. Pork is evil. Okay? Because you didn't do your homework. And that's what he's talking about. That's why it is so important. A couple more here and we're going to have to close. Uh, what can you learn about them? Again, is it a Jew or a Gentile? Okay, when you approach the scripture, are they wealthy or poor? Ruth, et. Says it right there. Hadn't been there in a while. I missed that guy. Uh, where was the book written? Okay, is an important question. When was the book written? Hey, did you know that Paul wrote, most likely, the, what's called the pastoral books? First and second Timothy and Titus. Two young pastors, Timothy and Titus. That's why they called that. Okay, <laughs> And, uh, but that was towards the end of Paul's life, most people would say. And when you ask and realize that question, Paul is pouring his guts out to these young men to carry the torch that he was about to lay down. And he's pouring his guts out to these guys, trying to encourage them, don't be timid, stand firm, preach the word. 
And when you understand that this might have been some of Paul's last words, last chance to pass the torch to faithful men who would continue on, everything that he lived and died for, literally his head's cut off. That kind of changes how you read those books, doesn't it? You just ask the one question. Okay, when was the book written? Uh, Does the book give any indication of the reason it was written? Are there any problems being addressed? I love that question. Okay, I've said it before. I think I said it here when I candidated. I've said it before at other churches that I've pastored. And uh, I said, hey, I just want to make a little little disclaimer here. Well, in the the contract here, disclaimer, subsection B, subsection D. Okay, if you think that my coming here is going to fix every single problem. Now, we'll work through problems, Lord willing. Okay, if we've got to discipline, we'll discipline. We're not going to run from it. But if you think that just having me come here is going to fix every little thing and we're never, ever going to go through a a challenge ever again, uh, please do me one favor. Before you make your decision, don't read the Bible. (laughs) Because have you ever read the New Testament letters? Because that's the question, right? Are there any problems being addressed? (laughs) What are they all about? Have you read them lately? Paul's having to fix this, and John's this, and Paul's teaching that, and division this, and you guys are gossiping, slandering, you're being mean to each other, they're sinning the church. It's like, praise God for problems in the church. Because we wouldn't have the New Testament. All right? And, and, and what it does also, so it tells us and dispels this, asking that question, it dispels this thing that there's a perfect church out there in La La Land that everybody's in search for, where you go there and everybody loves you. And they only do great things for you. And they're all your best friends. Nobody ever looks at you cross-eyed. And the very first time you showed up when you were that newcomer, half the church got out of their pew and said, please sit in my position that I've been here for 900 years. Oh, if we could only fall in such place. There is no such place. The church has always had problems. I'm not condoning it. The church has always had problems. But see, that's what we do. We romanticize. If I could only find... Hey, it's the old adage. If you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. And so will I, and so will you, ha, ha, ha. That's the thing, but it's true, isn't it? Right? So it tells us by asking that one question in the gold mine, are there any problems addressed? Yeah, there's lots of problems going on. So it tells us you're going to have problems today. Okay, now the good side of that is because there were so many problems, the Bible is very replete with how to deal with them. Now that's what I'm interested in. If you come into my office, I finally got to unpack. I've got resources that literally has a flow chart step by step. If somebody in the church does this sin or this wrong thing, you do this and this, and if their action's this, then you go to here. It's literally flow charted out. I love that stuff. Because I, I don't want to, bad behavior continues because it's allowed to continue and I want to get out of that mess. I'm not, let's just roll over. But I want to do it biblically because God blesses that. And all discipline is a loving act meant for restoration so we can become stronger, right? Okay, but that's what it tells us when you just ask that question. Uh, number three, outline the book. As you blank there, outline the book if it's the first time you studied the book. At the very best, uh, you should look at a good outline, a reliable commentary, okay? And study the paragraphs. Your next blank there, study the paragraphs, okay? And five, sum up your observations, write down the subject, the central idea, plus what the writer is saying about the central idea, the complement, Ruth, that's a nice sweater. No, that's a wrong compliment. But what he's talking about here is the central idea plus the compliment equals the main theme is what's going on there. The main theme, the main theme, one of the main themes uh, as you did all that outline, studied the paragraphs, I'm looking at this thing, what's going on here? Paul's in jail. I cannot believe that one of the main themes is this joy. Wow. But you'll get that when you study it in the right fashion. Okay, then determine why the author is saying this to the original recipients okay and that's kind of the back half 
of what's the motivation behind this? What is he trying to fix? What is he trying to tell them? Okay, because the whole point is you want to get this whole thing, I'm really running out of space, correct. Because again, what's the penalty for getting it wrong? Sin, false teaching, you start to propagate it, you become a false teacher, you go into apostasy. This book is the best thing ever. But if we don't approach it correctly, it'll become, it's not the Bible's fault, it's our fault. It'll lead to destruction. And then I would say the enemy will use you to lead other people into destruction. And that's where you have the birth of the cults and things of that nature, all because you didn't approach the scripture correctly. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. 
The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.